911. What is your emergency? Ladies never kiss and tell, but we do kill and tell. It's Kaylee, and this is, obviously, Kill and Tell Podcast. You would know that because you clicked play. But we're back with episode two. Um, Forgive me because I'm definitely feeling a little under the weather, so I did make this a shorter episode just so you guys don't have to listen to my horrible voice, but I didn't want to not upload something for you guys today because I know it's still just the beginning of the season. Um, So yeah, just try and bear with me. Honestly, if you can't listen to my awful congested voice. I don't blame you and I can catch up with you guys next Wednesday, but for those of you that want to stick around, thank you. Guys, I would not make it through today's episode if it wasn't for my coffee. Today's coffee corner, I went to my favorite coffee shop, which actually they changed their name, so they're no longer called Souffles, and I mentioned this place last season. They changed their name now to Plum Island Coffee. So I literally pulled up to this place expecting to see my like cute little pink coffee shop and I was so disappointed. I was like, oh my god, like my coffee shop isn't there anymore. And then I just noticed that they rebranded and I went in and everything else was the same. So thank god. And I got my caramel nut biscotti with a splash of oat milk iced and I actually got that one with no ice and I got another one. I got the caramel nut biscotti hot with oat milk and yeah, this way I could have one for tomorrow and one for today. It's literally, like, my favorite coffee, guys, but the place is, like, an hour away from me, so I don't get to get it that often, and that's why I got two. It's not just because it's, like, right up the street, and I'm like, oh, I don't want, I'm too lazy to go out. No, like, it's just so hard for me to get there. But if you guys are ever around that area, it's in Newburyport, so check it out. It's Plum Island City Coffee, and they have hot pink straws and pink coffee lids, so you know it's a vibe, especially it's on brand for us. But yeah, tell me what you guys are drinking. So today's case is actually making the headlines lately for the first time in years. This is a Massachusetts case, so obviously it was even more high on my priority list. This is the case of Melissa Tremblay. And guys, honestly, I'm just going to dive right in because like I said, I don't feel well and I just want to push through for you guys. So this is the case of Melissa Tremblay. Um, Melissa went by the nickname Missy, and she was actually adopted by her family in Salem, New Hampshire. And I know you guys are literally sitting there like, um, Kales, you said that this was a Massachusetts case. But it is, I promise. Um, this case actually took place in Lawrence, Mass., which is seven miles away from Salem, New Hampshire. Which is seven miles away from Salem, New Hampshire, and that's where Melissa Tremblay was from. Melissa was in the sixth grade and attended school at the Lancaster School in Salem, New Hampshire. And on September 11th, 1988, Melissa accompanied her mom, Janet Tremblay, and her mom's boyfriend at the time to La Salle Social Club on Andover Street in Lawrence, Mass. So come to find out, Melissa actually spent a lot of time here as her mom was a frequent drinker at the club. And while Missy's mom and her boyfriend were inside, Melissa usually hung out in the surrounding neighborhoods. Marianne Campbell, a Lawrence resident, stated that 
Melissa and her daughter would sweep up in the store and they would go get a candy bar or something else to eat while they waited for Melissa's mom to be ready to go home. Melissa's cousin made a statement later on too regarding disapproval of Janet's choices to let Melissa unsupervised roaming around while Janet was in the bar drinking. During the investigation, um, the neighborhood and people in Lawrence were kind of very fond of Melissa because, like I said, like, she had been there quite often, like, always roaming around while her mother was in the bar drinking, and so she wasn't a stranger to the Lawrence streets. Like, people knew who she was. She knew them. Like, so she was definitely very comfortable going out and about even while her mom was, um, wasn't with her. And that says a lot for an 11-year-old girl who, like, just feels super comfortable walking around, like, a different city than what she's from. And Lawrence is a city. Like, I don't know what it was like back then, and I've heard that it was very different. But Lawrence today, like, I wouldn't even walk around by myself. But Lawrence back then, like, I guess was supposed to be really safe and, like, really nice. Also, guys, I've literally searched the ends of the internet and cannot for the life of me find out what time Melissa and her mom got to the social club, but from my understanding, her mom was inside the social club for literally hours. It was also said that Melissa did return back to the club around 1.30 p.m., but her mom wasn't ready to leave yet, so Melissa headed back out to wander around again. It wasn't until a little before 9 p.m. that Melissa's mother and her boyfriend noticed that Melissa was missing. They ended up telling police that they looked everywhere and doing a thorough search before they called police to help. The last unofficial witnesses to have said to have seen Melissa were a railway worker and a pizza delivery driver, and they said to have seen her in the late afternoon on September 11th. So at around 4.15 p.m. on September 12th, a railway worker was out making his routine rounds when, unfortunately, he found Melissa's body underneath a freight train. The social club was only about a block away from the old Boston and Maine railway yard where this was. Melissa's body was found lying face down, and had been stabbed to death. Post-mortem, her body was struck by a train, amputating her left leg. Melissa was found fully clothed, wearing her high-top sneakers, and not too far from where her body was found, police found signs of a struggle. Police also located footprints at the scene. It's not clear what other evidence they found at the scene. According to the autopsy, Melissa's body was placed on the tracks after she had died. Police conducted a massive search, and when talking to witnesses, Most of them said they last saw Melissa near the Little Peach convenience store talking to a man in a tan, rusted van. However, police could not find any man or any car matching this description. Detective Thomas Murphy took over Melissa's case, and for a while, they ended up looking at a guy named Tommy Lynn Sells, who was a carnival worker who confessed to 13 other murders but he ended up being cleared and was not responsible for Melissa's death. Unfortunately, in 2015, Janet Tremblay died, and it wasn't until April 27th, 2022, yes guys, a few days ago, that police finally made an arrest in Melissa's murder. So that was like over 30 years that this case was active, and they finally arrested somebody. Police announced that they had arrested Marvin C. Skip McClendon Jr. for the murder of Melissa Tremblay. McClendon is now 74 years old and would have been about 40 years old at the time of Melissa's murder. According to the Essex County DA, McClendon was a person of interest in this case for a while now. McClendon is actually a retired Massachusetts Department of Corrections employee, and in 1988, McClendon lived in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, which is about 17 miles away from Lawrence. 
However, McClendon visited Lawrence frequently because he was actually working as a carpenter on the side, and he had a job in Lawrence around that time. It is said that McClendon also frequented Lawrence establishments, such as the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Salem Street in Lawrence as well. McClendon ended up retiring in 2002 and moved to Alabama, where he lived up until now. He may be extradited back to Massachusetts to face the charges, but for now, he stays in an Alabama prison. So, guys, like I said, this case is actually still making headway. Um, Not too much is known, especially not much known is about Marvin McClendon, but it is said that when he was living in Alabama, he was married. Most people that knew him said that they're in shock and they didn't expect this, but also said that he kind of lived his own life. One of his neighbors also said that they kind of, like, steer clear of him because he was mean. They actually said he was mean to the neighborhood kids and, like, would yell at them if they were out horsing around or out riding, like, their bikes or their four-wheelers um, and making any sort of noise. So they all kind of, like, steered clear of his house. Um, it didn't say much about his criminal record, but it did say... It didn't say much about his criminal record, but it did say that he was pulled over a few times and had to pay a few fines for not wearing his seatbelt. He also had two divorces on his record, but yeah, nothing um, nothing else is known. He hasn't made a statement yet. Police haven't released which evidence that they found at the scene that led them to his arrest, and they also said that there was a sufficient amount of evidence at the scene, so I don't know what that is or what that means. And I know I literally just, like, threw, like, a little little blurb at you about this case, but that's really all I have so far. Um, but luckily, like, justice is approaching for Melissa. I mean, so Melissa's case actually shed some light on another local case, which is not all that different from Melissa's, but it had a lot less coverage. I was actually only able to find a single article regarding this case, and that's why I'm throwing it in with Melissa's. But if you guys are able to find more information on this case, I would genuinely love to see it. So if you could send it to my email at killandtellpodcast at gmail.com, that would be great. So in 1980, Cheryl Noon of Lawrence, Mass, was 15 years old when walking to her cousin's house um, and never arrived. Cheryl was partially deaf and relied on a hearing aid. It was said that Cheryl left her house on Brookfield Street in Lawrence and was making her way to her cousin's house on Farm Street, which is less than a mile but when I put it into Google Maps, it was about a 17-minute walk, which is super eerie, guys. This walk would have taken her right through the same railway that Melissa's body would be found eight years later. Unfortunately, the following day, Cheryl's body was found on Pine Street in Methuen, Mass., which is about four miles away, making it quite a lengthy distance for her to have walked on her own, and when I plugged that into Google Maps, it was like an hour walk. Cheryl's body was found strangled to death. Um, She had been raped, and her underwear had been wrapped around her neck. No arrests have been made in the case since, and no other updates have been provided. But I just thought that these cases were super similar. I mean, Cheryl literally had to walk through the same railway that Melissa's body was found. They were both found at railroads, and they were both young girls out walking, and both of them had been in an area that they had been before. Like, Cheryl had obviously walked to her cousin's house before, Melissa had obviously been walking around those streets of Lawrence before. So it was safe to say that they were pretty comfortable with their surroundings and where they were. It's not like they were out and got lost. And when I plugged in Cheryl's to Google Maps, it was literally a straight shot, guys. Like, she took 
I think she took like a right turn and then it was like a straight shot. So actually, um, Fox 25 News did an interview with her family and her family feels that there's now new hope thanks to Melissa's case being close to being solved and they're very hopeful that Cheryl's killer can be found as well. Um, so yeah, like I said, if you guys have any other information about that, please send it my way. I know today's episode was super short, but forgive me, it is so hard for me to talk right now. I sound horrible, and I feel horrible that you guys even have to listen to my voice like this, so we're gonna wrap it up on that note. I hope you guys bought some merch. That will be on sale for a few more weeks. Um, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. You can find it on our Instagram at Kill and Tell Podcast. And if you have any inquiries or any stories you want to send my way, any story requests, we actually just had a few come in, so I'll be covering those soon. But if you have a story you want to hear, you can send it to us at killandtellpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, that's all I got for you. So I'm going to go bring Cricket to his training class and literally take some medicine and go curl up in my bed after that. Hopefully I feel better because I don't want next episode to sound like this but thanks for sticking around guys i appreciate you um guys i literally can't talk right now i just tried to hang up on this episode like three times hang up like as if i'm on the phone i just tried to end this episode like three times and i had to go back because i just couldn't get the words out my mind is so foggy but yeah enjoy the rest of your wednesday guys and i will see you next wednesday with a less sick version of this podcast and until then as always keep it spooky guys